Well, as we begin today, I'd like to start out with a question that I would love for you to answer either with someone sitting next to you that you either came to church with or in the room with, or maybe you can just chat your answer into the chat box. I know our host will do the same. Here's the the question I want you to consider and then for about 15 seconds, talk about. Who is, and God cannot be the answer, although it probably is the answer, who is the most generous person you know? Someone who just exudes generosity. Go ahead, spend about 10 seconds to talk about the answer that you came up with. Who's the most generous person you know? When I think about the answer to this question, a couple of the people I think about are my grandma and grandpa Zastro. They happen to be my parent, my mom's parents who are now in heaven. But I remember as a kid that opening gifts on Christmas Eve was almost anticlimactic because what we looked forward to from a gift perspective even more (laughs) was the day when the big boxes from Wisconsin came down to our house where we were living in Texas and to see all the wrapped gifts that they sent us, which usually more than doubled (laughs) all the other gifts that we received. They were definitely some generous people in my life. I think I also think of many of you, um, not only the generosity that you showed to this congregation, but also the generosity that I've been able to experience personally and my family, whether it's you helping me out with some home repairs or a computer problem or maybe some car repairs. There's a bunch of generous people here at North Cross. But as you, you think of this word, as you think of the word generosity, the truth is that it almost always has a positive connotation, right? I mean, you would much rather be considered generous than greedy, generous than stingy. Generous is an attribute that I think so many of us aspire to, right? We would like for people to consider us to be generous. It is an attribute we value. And the thing that I I want you to know today is that God values generosity as well. Generosity is a value that, or is an attribute that God values as well. And there's a lot of different ways to be generous. Um, You can be generous with your time. You can be generous with the care that you give to others. You can be generous in using your skills and your talents for certain things. Maybe you volunteer at school or maybe you're a coach or something else. But today, we're going to get really specific. The area of generosity we're going to be talking about the most today is generosity when it comes to our our money, our, our finances, our material blessings. And you might be wondering, how does this fit with a series about thankful or being filled with thanks? So that leads us to our first fill-in for today. It goes like this, that a thankful person will be a generous person. People who are truly filled with thanks, who are thankful, that will absolutely be seen in their generosity. (laughs) It's something that I, I probably can guess that none of you, as you got up this morning, were thinking, you know what? 
Of all the things that uh, we could be talking about in church today, I, I just really hope that Ben talks about money and finances. <laughs> or, or, you know, the truth is over 17 years of being a pastor, I've had a lot of people give me sermon series ideas. Never once has someone said, hey, I think we should do two months on money and how to use it and how to give. <laughs> And I, I suppose that this particular year that we're in might make a sermon or a message about finances and generosity seem to be even a little more difficult or, or weird. And the reality is, as I had planned this week and as I thought about this topic in the season that we're in, it's an opportunity for a very unique perspective. And yet the truths that God gives to us are exactly the same. Because here's the reality. Seasons like we're in, seasons like this one, they can expose an unhealthy relationship with money. Now, I know for all of you necessarily, maybe this hasn't been a difficult financial year. But for many of us, either it's been difficult or or at the very least, it's raised questions about the future, about retirement, about our jobs. And you know, it's in seasons of plenty where we don't always maybe understand or maybe think about what our relationship with money really is because we don't need to. Things are just going fine. But when, when things are scarce, it, it, it uncovers some things in our hearts and our minds. So for instance, Seasons of scarcity can sometimes uncover where it is we truly put our trust and our security and confidence for the future. And I'm not saying that any of us celebrate when the retirement fund goes down or up or whatever it might be, but yet at the same time, we recognize that those are things we cannot count upon and that our true security in seasons of scarcity needs to be found in the giver and not in the gifts. It's in seasons like this where sometimes we can find that what we're trying to find happy in is buying things, is, is having the right stuff around us to buy ourselves or to provide ourselves happy. And you and I both know that does not work. It may work for a moment, but money cannot buy happiness. I think in society, a lot of times, it's what you have or what you drive or what's in your bank account or what you're able to wear that actually tends to project sometimes who you are. A lot of times people in and with their money, society tries to tell us that that can show who you are. It's your identity, what you have or what you wear. It's in seasons of scarcity that we're reminded that that's just not true. Who you are, it, money can't tell us that. Money can't give that to us. Money is a blessing that God gives to us. But far too often, we find ourselves putting way too much weight in what we have or what we can buy. And what the Bible tells us is when we do a deep dive into finances and into financial blessings, the reality is, number two, that money doesn't tell who you are. It uh, doesn't have that ability. 
it's, it's, it's not strong enough to, to tell us that. It doesn't tell who you are. Instead, our relationship with money reveals whose you are. Tells a lot about where we put our confidence, our trust, and our joy. We're going to talk about that right now as we're going to turn to some words from an Old Testament prophet named Malachi. Malachi lived about 400 years before Jesus. If you've got your Bible with us or in front of you, you'll notice that it's the last Old Testament book. He's the last prophet before Jesus comes. And the context for the children of Israel at this time was that they were... um, out of the Babylonian captivity, we, we talked a couple weeks ago about how God kind of had to put Israel in a timeout because they kept falling away from the Lord. And now they're out of captivity. A remnant has returned to Israel and they've rebuilt the temple, which uh, was nowhere near as glorious as Solomon's temple. They also rebuilt the wall around Jerusalem. And you'd think after being on timeout for hundreds of years that things would have changed, but they're people, just like you and I are people with the same, the same aspects and the same temptations to fall away and to forget about God, and that's exactly what they did. In times of plenty, they would forget about God. In times of scarcity, they would return to God. And as Malachi is writing some words of God to the people, it's in one of those seasons of scarcity that he writes to them. And in that one, one of those seasons where they were being not generous with what they had. Listen, Malachi chapter three, verse seven. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, And I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? So they're in a season where they've fallen away from God. God is trying to wake them up through the prophet Malachi and tells them to return to him. And they're asking, okay, what do we do to return to you, Lord? I'll ask you that question. What do you do or what do you think of when someone would say, return to me? When the Lord says, return to me, some of the things that I've noticed with people, and all of these are good, none of them are bad. One of the things people often do when they want to return to the Lord is attend church. You know, you get out of the habit maybe of attending church, whether in person or now online and returning to God sometimes for some people means I'm going to get back into the habit of going to church on Sunday or on Saturday or whatever it is. And that's a good thing, but that's not what God was talking to the Israelites about. Another thing sometimes in returning to the Lord would be prayer and Bible study. I'm going to get into a daily habit of spending time with the Lord in prayer and Bible study. And that is a a good thing. It's not what God speaks to the people or the Israelites about Or maybe it's a a big change in your lifestyle, something going on in your life that you really need to change. And returning to God means that you're going to change that thing. Sometimes that's what returning to God means, but that's not what Malachi is going to talk about. Interestingly enough, well, let's read what God says. Malachi chapter three. Will a mere mortal, will people, 
rob God, yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? And God replies, in tithes and in offerings. And so God is calling them to return to him. And he tells them not to work on their worship attendance, not to uh, get back into prayer and Bible study. Again, those are good things. But it's interesting, in this reality, in this aspect, God is saying, the way you return to me has to do with your offerings, has to do with your tithes. It's probably not what we would have thought. And it makes us wonder some things. Maybe it makes us wonder, does God need us? Is that why God here is so concerned about the offerings? Is God up in heaven hoping that we give back to him because otherwise he won't be able to accomplish his will or his plan? I I will tell you, absolutely, that's not happening. He's not waiting on us like our offering is the only way that his plans can be accomplished. In fact, the psalmist writes this, Psalm 50, I have no need of a bull from your stall, God says, or of goats from your pens. For every animal of the forest is mine and also the cattle on a thousand hills. Everything already is God's. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need our offerings. In fact, if there was something that he needed from us, you know what the almighty creator would do? (laughs) He would just take it. He doesn't need to wait on us. So if it's not that God needs us, and I think you would have known that intuitively already if he's all powerful, then why why does he care about offerings? Why does he care about being generous? Why does God care about our giving? God knows how we're wired God understands that sometimes the gift can become more important than the giver. Or to put it this way, our next fill-in, that money competes for first place in our hearts. Financial blessings, material wealth, it so easily can compete for first place in our hearts. God knows that. God understands that. In the New Testament, there's this verse that many of us know, and it's not the, that money is the root of all evil. What is the verse? That the love of money is the root of all types or all kinds of evil. The problem is not the gift God wouldn't give us gifts if they weren't blessings. It's when we, in our apathy or in our forgetfulness or in our lack of focus, begin to put too much focus on the wrong thing. And for the Israelites, that was happening that the gifts were becoming more important than the giver. They had things mixed around, or to put it this way, the Israelites didn't really own their money. Their money owned them. Their possessions owned them. And God, in his wisdom and in his love, recognized, this is something I need to talk to them about. Because when we put too much emphasis on what we have, it is so easy for us not 
only to have a wedge in our relationship with God, but we begin, we begin to be less happy, less confident, less sure. He understands the blessing in all ways of having the giver be number one in our lives. Let's go back to the verses. God continues here through Malachi. He says to the Israelites, you're under a curse. You're a whole nation because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. So it wasn't that the Israelites weren't giving God anything. They just weren't being generous. They weren't giving their first and their best. If you read through the first few chapters of Malachi, you're going to find some examples of that. So for instance, when they would take a a lamb to give as an offering, what the giver deserves is the best lamb. Sometimes you've heard the term an unblemished lamb, but instead they would go to the pen and they would find the the lamb that had diseased meat that, you know, they wouldn't be able to eat anyway. Or maybe it's the one that had a limp or some recessive gene or something like that. Maybe five legs instead of four. I'm making that part up. But they would pick up or they would take the lambs or the sheep or the the goats that they didn't want. And that's what they would give to God. Here's what God had to say. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I'm not pleased with you. God didn't need their sheep. God didn't need their goats and God doesn't need our offerings. What he was so concerned about and upset about is that the people's lack of generosity showed that they were not filled with thanks. That one of the ways that we can show thanks is by being generous in many different ways, but in one of the ways is through our offerings. Now, I know none of us have gone to a sheep pen, at least I don't think, and brought a a diseased sheep to God. So maybe that doesn't relate to us that well. But here's another way to think about it. And I I brought some things um, from my kitchen here today. So these uh, Tupperware containers are containers that you'll often find in our um, refrigerator, not empty, but filled with um, food that we haven't eaten from the last meal. We, we fill these things with leftovers. And, uh, you know, let's, there are some foods that taste better as leftovers. Maybe there's a soup that just needs a little more time to marinate. And when you eat it on the second day, sometimes turkey is this way with the right sides. You know, it can taste even better that second day. But for most of us, for most of us, we'd rather eat the food right when it's done. Many of us, some of us even have phobias over leftovers. We just don't like leftovers. And no matter how we feel about it personally, here's what I also know, is that if you had some honored guests over to your house, 
what I'm guessing probably has never happened unless you forgot they were coming. But if you were planned, the plan never was that when mealtime comes around for our guests, we're just going to go into the refrigerator and see what's in there. Some old hard noodles or maybe some peas from a week ago. And, you know, I don't know what this is, but, you know, I'm sure if we nuke it, it'll taste okay, maybe. You'd never do that for an honored guest, right? Because leftovers aren't meant for the guest. Leftovers are meant for us, right? Maybe that helps. And here's how I want to say it, that we don't have a leftovers type of God. And yet, in many ways, I think sometimes that's the way we give back to him, is what's left over. And for some of you listening online or in the room, I don't know that there even needs to be a whole lot of guilt about that right now, because maybe never anyone has talked to you about that. Maybe you haven't understood the idea of what giving back to the Lord and being generous looks like. So let's let's talk about that for a second. One of the most helpful passages for me to get my mind and my heart straight is something Paul wrote to Corinthian Christians when he wrote this in 2 Corinthians 9. Each person, each Corinthian Christian should give what... He has decided in his heart to give. Okay, so when I was a kid, when it came to giving until my parents taught me about this, what would happen is I would buy all the toys and candy that I wanted. And then if I had a quarter left over, that's what I'd put in the offering. And was that better than giving nothing? I suppose in some ways. But at the same time, do you see that type of giving was treating God like a leftover? But what if we all personally, this might be the most like mind-changing, life-changing thing we could do when it comes to generosity. What if we took some time, and some of you have already done this, took some time before we receive our check before we receive our paycheck as we're budgeting to think, what does generous look like? That we decide in our hearts what it looks like to give back to the Lord in a way that is not leftover giving. Um, For me, I was taught and I firmly believe that because God is always the first giver, And when we've been given much, much is expected that thinking about a percentage has always been helpful for me. In the Old Testament, God commanded a a 10%. In the New Testament, we have Christian freedom over that. But here's what I know. God has given us everything we have. We need to manage all of it to his glory. It's like if I allowed you to borrow my car, would you just manage some of it, take care of some of it? You would take care of all of it, right? We are to manage everything he's given to us to his glory. And part of that management is giving some of it back to him, is being generous. 
Here's, here's what I want you to know. As always, God is the greatest example of this. There's this verse that James writes that in the New Testament that I thought has such application for this, this topic. It goes like this. God chose to give us birth through the word of truth. Basically, God chose to change our lives, to make us his children, to give us hope and a future that we might be, that our identity is kind of like a first fruits of all he created. You know what a first fruit is? We could go way into detail with this, but in essence, a first fruit is your first and your best. It was kind of the the first and the best of your crops. I thought it was so ironic that as God says, as your creator, as your savior, give me your first fruits, he looks at you and me and because of Christ, That's how he considers us to be. And he treats us that way all of the time. He never gives us his leftovers. But God has always been about our forgiveness, our eternity, and his relationship with us. We see that through history. The entire Bible is God's love story of how He gave us what we didn't deserve, a savior. And how that savior came to this earth and treated us also like his first fruits as he was here, not for himself, but to be a servant and ultimately to die in our place so that we might experience blessing for eternity. We don't give anything more than what God has given to us. In fact, way, way less. Number four, we are undeservedly God's first fruits. We are undeservedly God's first fruits. And so it's in response to the gospel that we are able to give, that we are able to to respond and, and to give. We manage all that we have to the glory of God because it's all his. And part of what we can do is, as thankful people is to be generous, whether that be an, an offering to church, whether that be helping someone in need, is giving back, being generous in what we have and what we've been given. Malachi writes how God ends this section, and that's with a promise. Verse 10. Test me in this. Test me in this giving, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is right. Ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Now, I want you to know that this is a very specific blessing given to the Israelites and that the specific application is not meant for us. 
And what I mean by that is, if you ever hear a pastor or a church say that if you give back to the Lord, you're going to receive even more financial wealth in return. If you hear a pastor or a church say that, I, I, frankly, I think you need to leave that church because it's just not true. But there is an application in here that we see talked about in other places of scripture and one that you might intuitively know. That when we do give back and when we return the Lord to his rightful place in our hearts, it may not mean that we're going to get rich. It probably will mean that you won't be rich. But what it does mean is that he's going to take care of you. Test me in this and see if I will not do what I've promised. Continue to be with you. Continue to guide you. Continue to bless you and to give you not always what you may always want, but to give you what you need. So finally, I'd like to close with this encouragement. I want you to realize that there is joy in generosity. There truly is. Being generous is something we all admire in people around us. And frankly, I'm guessing most of us would like others to look at us and think that's a generous person, right? There is so much joy in being generous and generosity. As I told you before, I look around this church family and think about you online and I recognize that there are so many generous people that make this ministry happen. There are so many opportunities. I mean, I could go on and on that the Lord is putting in front of us right now. And with your continued generosity, not for earthly glory, but instead in response to what God has given, I want you to know something, that when you give to the Lord, you're able to make an impact that lasts far longer than this life. Have you ever spent a whole lot of money on a steak dinner? Was it good? Absolutely. Is it gone? Yep. But when we give to gospel work, when we're generous in this way, I firmly believe that the gospel ministry here is going to be here long after people forget about me or about you, but that Jesus Christ will continue to be proclaimed because of the generosity of God's people and because of his work through us. There's joy and generosity. And one other way, when we begin to loosen our grip on our stuff and instead begin to trust the giver, there is a joy and a security and a confidence that no amount of pieces of paper with dead presidents printed on them can give us. Because at the end of the day, he's the giver. He's given us all that we have and he promises to take care of us. The question is, how can we live in thankfulness and in response be generous and find the joy that there is in generosity. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you give us every single thing that we have. We have more than we need. We are truly, truly blessed. 
Lord, I pray that through this message and through these words that, that Malachi wrote down from your own mouth, dear Lord, that we would find in us the desire and also the, the, the faith, the strength of faith to value generosity, to make a difference in the people's lives around us who may be in need, to continue to be motivated with our time, with our offerings, to support the gospel work that you have given us to do together. And Lord, we pray that you bless it. We know you don't need us, but in response to what you've done, we pray that we be a generous people. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.